hate to interrupt the beautiful gathering and hanging out time. Go ahead and find your seats when you're all finished. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. My name is Jimmy. I am the youth pastor here, so I'm in charge of overseeing the junior high and high school, and we just get to have a lot of fun over there across the street, occasionally over here if we get a little crazy. Now, um, we get to talk about things with the youth group, and lately we've been going over a series called The World's Toughest Questions, so simple things, you know, like the truth of the Bible and why is there sin? You know, just chit-chat, easy stuff. Um, it's very exciting, though. And all of these questions are stemming from the kids that we have over there. So younger and younger, the questions get deeper and deeper. And it's really quite exciting. And if I could give you a five-second answer to why is there sin, I guess ultimately it's because we have freedom. God gives us freedom, and in order to give us freedom, we have to have the ability to choose not only Him, but to not choose Him. And I was reflecting back on the Bible stories that we were taught in Sunday school, where Adam and Eve were tempted by the apple, and, you know, they take a bite of that, and they're out. I always thought that, you know, an apple wouldn't be that tempting for me. I don't know about you guys. Perhaps if it were like a, like a, a donut tree, that would be... That would be cool. Or maybe uh, maybe like a hot roll, like fresh out of the oven, a little butter on top, and you just pick it off. Uh, probably the most tempting thing for me would be a Big Mac tree. I'm a, I'm a fan of that. There's no, no snake necessary for that. I'd be kicked out of the garden before you could say, I'm loving it. <clears throat> so, um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the front of the church is missing. It's gone. Yeah, where'd it go? And so, it, might, it is my dad who is uh, responsible for all this business, but, uh, yeah, sure, yeah. So the thing is, it's really cool to actually have it started. We have experienced a long process of getting things going, and it's actually cool to see things getting done. And if I was, if I were to compare this construction project to any other story, I'd probably compare it to the story of Nehemiah, where he tasked himself with rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, and though he went through all of the loopholes and pleased everybody that he possibly could, he was resisted at every single step of the way, and honestly, that's how we felt from time to time, but... We are still proceeding, and because God's on our side, one day this will get done. <laughs> and I say one day like it's far. I actually do believe that it's pretty close, and um, we were talking about how often we were here. We were like here eight days last week, so I don't know how that's even possible, but it's really exciting either way. Last week, we heard from my father-in-law, Greg, and it was pretty spectacular. We learned about how to have a solid foundation, to build our lives on a solid foundation. And there's the comparison with the wise man and the foolish man. And it's tempting to have that beachfront property on building on the sand, but we learned about how it's foolish to do so. But even as a Christian, I find we build on not so sturdy foundations, even as Christians. And 
what, what is an unsturdy foundation? I was trying to think about that. and It could be popularity. It could be finances. We build on this. And you build a beautiful house. And you build up something. And it may stand for a while. But if your foundation is popularity, if your foundation is even family or church leadership or even political leadership... That's going to crumble eventually. And everything that you've built on top of it is just going to tumble down. And the only thing, if you are a Christian who's also built on a solid foundation and the weak foundation, when the storms come and that weak foundation crumbles away, all you're left with is that which was built on the solid foundation. And that's Jesus, what we know in this story, the rock of our salvation. Occasionally, we don't build a lot on that foundation. But whatever is built on that will stand. And that's exciting. And I love learning about that. That's what I learned from my father-in-law last week. Now, with that said, before we get into our text, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, may your name be kept holy. We love you so, so much. And we want to say, may it stay holy. We pray your kingdom come. We pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Some of you may have heard that prayer before. <laughs> no, I wasn't reading it. <clears throat> but that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And I want to ask you all a question while you flip there. Who here has ever had a master or has been able to learn from a master? Maybe some of you. Some of you may be a master of your craft. Now, typically when you have the master that you get to work under, you ask them a lot of questions. You want to learn how they do what they do. When I was young, I was in martial arts. I did Taekwondo and I had a master. His name was Master Quang Sik Myung. He was a ninth degree black belt and it was very impressive. He was kind of an older guy and he walked a little bit slow, but occasionally when he would demonstrate his craft, he was very impressive. He had these two sticks. I forget what they're called, but he would just whirl him around and it was very impressive and I got to learn from him. A lot of kids in our youth group are also experienced in the martial arts. One whom has a injured foot. So, you know, that's probably why. <clears throat> it's not, but and we won't go into that. So, there's more than just the masters of the martial arts though. You might know of a master craftsman. In working in the front of the church, we've seen a lot of master woodworkers, master masons, and beyond construction, it could be a master teacher, a master musician, 
Maybe you're really good at speaking. That, um, what is that community? It's uh, the to- maybe you're involved with the Toastmasters, perfecting speech. Maybe some of our kids boast that they are a master of toast. They think they can toast it perfectly. Or that marshmallow, you get the golden brown. Not the burnt. Some of you are impatient and just stick it in the fire. <clears throat> That's not how you do it. <clears throat> My sister is one of those who's slightly impatient. She sticks the marshmallow into the fire, blows out the candle, and eats it right away. <clears throat> Sinner. That's okay. That's all right. I'm sure it'll be forgiven. But the thing that I wanted to talk about masters is we're learning from a master this morning in our passage of Luke 11. And so go ahead and read with me the first few verses, starting in verse 1 of Luke 11. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. As we get older, I find our lives get a little bit more complicated. Is that true for anyone else? Maybe, maybe. When you're five years old, the only thing that you're worrying about is when your friend's coming over to play. I remember being young and asking, when's my friend going to come over? And my mom will say, well, probably 12 o'clock. Oh, oh boy. That's what you have to worry about. Oh, man, I don't know if I can wait that long. Fast forward 10 years, 15 years old. Perhaps you are worrying about being popular. You're worrying about what style of clothes you're wearing, how well you're doing in school. And you're like, huh, am I going to be neat? Am I a cool individual? Ah, you have more to worry about and your life gets more complex. 25 years old, maybe you're finished with school. Maybe you're in school. Maybe you're worrying about getting a job. Some of you are getting, some of you got married when you were 25. Maybe some of you had kids when you were 25. A lot more to worry about. Your life gets more complicated. 35, you're worrying about that career, perhaps getting a house. 45, you're like, wow, how far away is retirement? Yeah. 55, retirement. 65, retirement. You know, it's the things that kind of escalate as our life goes on. And I wanted to provide that example for you because this is not the case with Jesus. The longer someone gets to know this man, Jesus, the simpler the message becomes. And in Luke 11, 1 through 4, we just read, this is not the first time Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Two years earlier, in the Gospel of Matthew, we read about, it was just after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And it was... A few sentences longer. And then when they asked him to pray again, years later, he taught him again. But it was a simplified prayer. I like that. The longer you get to know Jesus, the simpler his message becomes. This isn't the only reason, though, that I think Jesus gets simpler. 
Apparently, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we find 613 commands that the Jews were supposed to follow to please God and be set apart from God. That's a lot of rules. That's a lot of rules, and I don't know how well I'd be able to follow them all. Uh, it turns out there were 248 of them were positive commands. These are the commands that say, do this, do that. It is important for you to follow these instructions. 248 of them were positive commands. 365 were negative commandments. Do not do this. Do not do that. Avoid this. And I find it's ironic that there's 365. So one negative commandment for every day of the year. Not great. <laughs> but if you guys crack your Bibles, I'm not going to ask you to do that today for the sake of time. But in Psalms 15, we read about how all of those commands were reduced to 11. 11 commands we're given to be with God, to please God. It gets smaller. It's a much better number than 613. But if we continue reading through the Bible and we come to Micah chapter 6, 6 through 8, the commands are reduced again to three. Three commands. For those of you jotting down, take these down because it is very fascinating to see how the commands are reduced. A simple message. Then we come to Jesus in Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. He reduces it yet again to two, which we find to be basically one, according to Galatians 14, which I will read to you. And that says, the whole law can be summed up in one word, love. Isn't that interesting? 613 down to one. That's who Jesus is. He's not trying to overcomplicate salvation. He is trying to simplify it so that Everyone that can be saved is saved. That's awesome. I like that. Now, Jesus continues his teaching. Go ahead and read verse 5 to 10 with me. Then Jesus said to them, this is in Luke 11, You have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose one, the one inside answers, Don't bother me! The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Can anyone relate to this guy? <laughs> I certainly can. Continuing on, verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
two things about this. First of all, please don't be this guy knocking on my door at midnight. I have a taser. They didn't have tasers back in the day. The second thing, we are to be this guy. (laughs) Spiritually though, not literally, don't actually knock on your neighbor's door, especially if it's mine at midnight. A little bit of history about the middle and lower class is oftentimes there was a single room dwelling. The houses would be just one room. And in the center of the room, there would be a fireplace. And around the fire, for warmth, the whole family would bunk. Occasionally, around the family then, around the outskirts of the wall, there would be the animals, if it were a lower class, indeed. And the animals would be bunking in. So, I don't know if your guys' dogs bark when they hear a noise. But if there's a, hey, give me some bread. It's midnight. My friends are over. Uh, the cats are meowing, the donkeys are whatever they, they make. Bray, braying. Why is it braying? The dogs are barking, all the animals are up, the kids are crying, you know. Man, oh my goodness. So why is Jesus using this analogy? Is he saying that God is a grumpy neighbor? If you ask him enough and keep knocking, he's going to give you what you want. Absolutely not. Now, what else? Is God saying, hey, if you keep asking, keep knocking, keep doing this, then eventually, you know, is God playing hard to get? What's happening here? I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. One of the reasons Jesus uses this analogy, there will be two of them. Jesus uses this analogy... Because of something about the character of God. And we need to find out what that is. In Psalms 123, no, Psalm 121, verse 3. If you could turn there, flip there as fast as you can. Psalm 121, verse 3 says this. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Interesting. So, Jesus uses this analogy to say, because our Father in heaven never sleeps, because our Father in heaven never says, don't bother me. Check out Luke, once again, Luke eighteen 15. I'm asking you guys to do a lot of flipping. Keep up. Let's do this. Luke 18.15 says a beautiful story, and I love it so much. It says this. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So, Jesus uses this analogy to say that because our Father never sleeps, because our Father never says, don't bother me, 
He's the one that's accepting everyone that comes, even the little children. How much more would he be willing to respond to the one who keeps asking? He's a heavenly father, a loving father. He's not a grumpy neighbor. Jesus is giving this analogy to say, God's not this. Although even if you were to do this, this would work. At some point, at this point in the story though, some of you might, might be bothered. Because if God is all knowing, if God is all like hearing, why is it important that I keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking? Why can't I just ask once and have it be done? Is God playing hard to get? You know, does he always just want to, come on, I just want to, yeah, come on, whisper sweet nothings. Is that what he's doing? Is God treating us like a puppy? You know, come on, stand on your hind legs, do a trick, bark, speak, then you get the biscuit. No. (laughs) I had to flip my notes over for that answer. Uh, So, another two things. First, could I assume that the common consensus is that young people don't always know what they want? Maybe? Yeah? I think so. (laughs) All right, kiddos in the room, Christmas lists. When Christmas rolls around the corner, you write your list. Is there that top-tier present? I want this. (laughs) This is what I want. (laughs) If I I could just avoid everything else, you know, I have a list of presents that would be cool to get. But if I get that, that would be so sweet. Has that thing ever changed on your list? For me, I know it did. Every time I went to a toy store, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I want that instead. <laughs> that would be the best. And then I'll go to another place another time. Ah, wow, <laughs> that's way better. Let's do that. Older kiddos, the rest of you in the room, <laughs> your Christmas list may be a little different, but I think it still exists. <clears throat> the items on there might be a little more expensive. <laughs> might include a sea or uh, a house, <laughs> or a motorhome, or a vacation to Fiji. Could be, I don't know. But I believe one of the reasons the Lord teaches us to persist in prayer is to help us sort through that which is really important. Secondly, and I think more important... We are to persist in prayer simply because the Father enjoys being with us. God loves you. God loves you so much and he wants to be with you. And I also want to bring up the point that say God were to answer our prayer every time, what would prayer become? (laughs) It would become a shopping spree. And be like, God, I could use this, put it in my cart. I'll use this too. Thanks, God. I'll take this and this and this. And you're just pushing, going down the aisle, filling your cart up with the things that he's always answered you for. Would that be what a loving father would do? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. The fact that we must come to him repeatedly, I think helps us see that in the end it was his fellowship that we were craving all along. 
I like the analogy of in the human spirit, in the human soul, there's a God-shaped hole, and we try and fill it. We fill it with things, and we fill it with music, friends, family, and it never quite satisfies. What satisfies in our heart is his presence. We try and fill it so often, though. We stick so much stuff in there, and it just doesn't quite work. Jesus concludes this teaching in verse 11 of chapter 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God gives good gifts. And he also withholds because he's a good father. He's a good father. Psalm 84.11 reads something very interesting. Psalm 84.11 says this. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. For the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Can I say that again? No good thing does he withhold. No good thing. Perhaps you've been asking for something in your prayers. Perhaps you've been desiring something. And you may believe that it, it to be a good thing. And indeed it may be. You, with your own opinions. And you haven't received it. I really want this. God, I really am desiring this. And it hasn't come. I know... I have prayed before and asked, God, please give me this. I need this. I find that this would be a really good thing in my life. And I haven't received it. As painful as it is, I have to conclude that this particular thing is not good for me. At least at this time. Some of you may be asking for things such as healing for sicknesses and sometimes that doesn't happen that's a hard lesson and this is one of the toughest things that i think the people of god confront and that is we call it sometimes unanswered prayers when in reality i think oftentimes it is answered prayer the answer just may be no the answer may be yes and I've often heard the answer could be not yet. And we're so impatient though. We want it now. I want it now. God, why can't I have this? If you loved me, you would give it to me right now. Doesn't that sound like a young child asking their father for candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? A good father knows that that's not good for you. And I'm going to withhold that. Not going to give that to you. 
But no good thing does God withhold from those that love him. No good thing. Now, to conclude this, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. It's more the disciples' prayer because he's teaching them how to pray. (laughs) But we need to examine what Jesus gave to us, how he told us to pray. And this prayer isn't saying, God, I need this. It's not a shopping list. It's not saying, God, I want this. I need this. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, holy be your name and your kingdom come. That's spending time with your heavenly father. I want to leave you guys with these thoughts. And I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team on up. And we're going to pray and close. The final thoughts I want to leave you with. Perhaps you haven't been treating this faith as the relationship that God desires it to be. Christianity, I love, is no religion. It's a relationship. I have a cousin that says at family gatherings, I hate religion. I hate it. And I'll come to her and say like, me too. And she'd be like, you're a youth pastor. You shouldn't say that. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Now, I'll go ahead and say I, I don't hate religion. I think there is a place for religion. And in James 1, we read about the pure and undefiled religion is that of visiting orphans and widows. So pure religion is that. Religion has come to mean something else. And people say like, well, I just don't want to obey all these rules and things. I don't want to do that. It sounds like a boring life, and I, I don't like that. But what Christianity is, is it's a relationship. And when I talk to my cousin, I say, I, I don't care for religion. And that's not, it's not what it's about. Christianity is that relationship. And when we talk to God, that's just working on our relationship. But what is prayer for you? Oftentimes, it's a checklist. It's a shopping list. Oh, God, I need this. God, keep me safe. God, I pray that you'd work in this person's life. Perhaps prayer should change for us. And it should be something that we are doing consistently. Every day. Every hour. Perhaps even every minute. Because it's a conversation. A conversation that we need to be having with a source of power that we know is really important. But he gives us that freedom, doesn't he? You get to choose. And he's going to make it as hard as possible for you to choose him. Not hard as possible. The opposite. He's going to make it as hard as possible for you not to choose him. He's going to make it as easy as possible as we know Jesus does. Makes it so easy for us To say, wow, thanks for everything you do, Jesus. May it continue to be that way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. 
Your kingdom comes soon. God, today we ask that you would give us what we need. Give us the bread that we need, our daily bread. And God, we pray that you would forgive us and help us to forgive those that sin against us, Jesus. Help us not to yield to that temptation that's always thrown our way and deliver us, Jesus, from that one who wants us to stumble. That's not your, <laughs> that's not your goal, God. You want us to succeed and you want us to ask. You want us to be persistent in our prayers so that you can give us the good things that you promise to us. God, may we be a church that asks you for everything in our life, for all things in our life. May we remember that everything that we have is a result of your mercy. So Jesus, we love you and we praise you. And we say this in your powerful name, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.